Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Operation Climate, the podcast made by young people for young people, where we talk about climate change solutions with cool people and learn about how we as young people and students can take action in the climate movement. Today's episode is a special one because we are sharing an episode from the podcast series In Conversation in Community, a collaboration that we at Operation Climate did with the Duke University Fast Connections Environmental Justice Oral Histories Project. This is a really important podcast series because we are actually celebrating the 40th anniversary of the environmental justice movement in the United States. So we're very excited to share with you these episodes and let's get into it. Welcome to In Conversation, In Community, a celebration of all that the environmental justice movement is and has been. In each episode, we sit in conversation with those on the ground working to rectify the systemic impacts of pollution and climate change on historically vulnerable communities. This means we're speaking with youth climate justice advocates, government workers, and those organizers who helped found the movement 40 years ago. Our purpose is to ask those ingrained in the community what environmental justice means to them and to reflect on the common experiences, ancestral connections, and modern injustices that pushed these amazing advocates into action. We look forward to sharing with you. In Conversation in Community is a collaboration between the Environmental Justice Oral History Project and Operation Climate. Today, we are in conversation with several organizers from Black Millennials for Flint. Black Millennials for Flint is a national environmental justice and civil rights organization with the purpose of bringing like-minded organizations together to collectively take action and advocate against the crisis of lead exposure, specifically in African-American and Latinx communities throughout the nation. In addition to working on lead exposure in these communities, Black Millennials for Flint also works on a ton of other environmental justice areas that we'll be talking about in this episode. We're talking with Shaniqua Watson, Terrence Brown, and Aramis Jones. Some of the key topics that we will be covering in our conversation include the issue of food deserts, access to healthy food, why some communities don't have ready access to healthy food, and steps that we can take to ensure that access to healthy food, green space, and health in general are all things that everyone can enjoy equally. Could you guys please just introduce yourselves and your role at Black Millennials for Flint? And we're interested in knowing, you know, how long you've been there, what communities you focus on, and yeah. My name is Shaniqua Watson, and I was previous uh, an environmental justice grill for Black Millennials for Flint. I currently serve as the Memphis director for Black Millennials for Flint, and I'm going on a year and I actually got involved with actually signing up for the program that we went through just to learn about just the basis of environmental justice, how it relates to things that are going on in our community, in our health, as well as just like our families, just things we usually do not talk about. So that's how I pretty much got started. So my name is Aramis Jones, and I am a Memphis uh, environmental justice or EJ Gria. 
I got involved with the program last year and I mainly gained an interest in learning more about the work that Black Millennial Flint does through just kind of getting an understanding of like what I could do more for my community from an environmental standpoint. I work in healthcare, and when we talk about taking care of people's health, um, you know, an environment is a major part of that. So I just kind of wanted to learn more about how those things intersect and, you know, what I could do. And my name is Terrence Brown. I got involved through the Memphis Division. I'm a Lead ambassador. But what piqued my interest in particular with the program was some of the like the food deserts of it. I used to work at was uh, through AmeriCorps. It was a after school program. And uh, one of my kids, I remember he was not feeling too well. Uh, I could see he was a little bit sluggish and like, what's wrong, buddy? He was like, I'm not feeling so good. Uh, You got to eat an apple, buddy. And uh, he said, "Uh, I don't have any. I'm like, oh, you got to drink some juice. He like, "Uh, we don't have any at my house. And it was just kind of, you know, mind blowing, like even like just simple, you know, simple, simple things that I think a lot of us take for granted, you know, that help our health. Things we probably have in our fridge for our daily lives. A lot of people don't have access to in the area in particular that uh, he was living in. You know, the closest grocery store is probably about 30, 40 minutes away. You, you'll see more of uh, like fast foods or corner stores and things of that nature. The community that he's referring to, I grew up around the corner from the organization he previously used to work in. And I know around maybe the age of 13, the only fast food place that we had to eat was called was Kentucky Fried Chicken. And we did not have access to actually grocery stores. We, we just didn't have access to that. And so the only thing that we could eat would be chicken. And so as a child, I never understood or I just didn't know that it was actually a term coined around that. And so as I continued to get older, I did. I started noticing, like, why is it that in Memphis, in most of your urban communities, do we always have chicken places? And most of the time it's usually like church's chicken. And one thing people did not realize about churches is like you could get eight pieces of chicken for like $5.45. Well, you would be able to feed your entire family, especially if you were living in poverty. So as time went on, I finally learned with the help of Black Millennials for Flint, I'm like, it was called, as we said it before, um, a food desert. And like I said, I was 13 years old when I started realizing something was wrong. And to this day, that community has not changed. They still don't have, like, it's inadequate transportation, inaccessible to just healthy foods. I can say a little bit has changed. They did put, like, a food market right there. But sometimes when you're trying to eat healthy, as we all know, it's expensive. So if you're living in a community where you're you're barely making it or it's impoverished, how can, how can you have, how can you eat healthy? So my background is working in health promotion, um, public health, and so... A lot of the organizations that I used to work with, you know, we focus on, you know, eliminating those barriers to get people to health care. So whether that's connecting them with the insurance agent, whether that's getting the transportation to their provider. Um, and one thing that was big for me um, in working in these healthcare care environments was ensuring that people got access to nutritional food. And a part of the work that I was doing was um, hosting healthy cooking classes for some of our patients and people in the community. And so. Uh, what came from that was we're hosting these healthy cooking classes, 
but people don't have the actual grocery stores in their communities to actually go and replicate, you know, the food that we're showing them to make. You know, people don't have the, the transportation. Um, people don't have access to the green space when we tell them to go and, you know, try to do some of these physical fitness activities. These green spaces aren't there for them to do it in the community. We know what it takes to, to be healthy, but where, where do I go to get it? Or how do I how do I start, you know, a community garden to do what needs to be done for my community when it comes to saying when my doctor is saying I need leafy, more leafy greens in my diet, I need more color in my diet. But those things aren't found in the store. So how do how do how do we make an impact to do that? So when I first got introduced to Black Millennials for Flint, I had this idea that you were mainly focusing on the Flint water crisis, which you you do do a lot of work on that. But it seems like you you address a lot of other environmental justice issues as well. I'm curious to know what exactly is going on in Memphis? What kind of projects are you working on in that area? For the Memphis location, we are working on a garden actually in the North Memphis uh, community. I'll say a little bit over the little bit over a month ago, what we did, we actually went out to Canvas to actually ask the people in the neighborhood what fruits and vegetables would they like. And another great component that we did, we actually had the soil tested because lead is a huge component for Black Millennials for Flint to make sure that it will not be lead in the soil and it's not any lead in there. So we were like really excited. Like this is a great lot where we can get started. And you know, it's not like we're poisoning the people in the community. I was, I think, really enlightened through the EJ Grill program from the a trip that we took, farmer's education trip. I didn't know anything about farming or gardening or anything like this. So we took a trip down to New Orleans and we had the opportunity to meet with, you know, some of the people from the community, some people from uh, Mississippi as well. And it's kind of learning about what community gardening, what it really means to not only the people that benefit from getting the food, but also the people who are actually working, you know, in the gardens. You know, we are people that are of the land and this is something that we do, you know, as as a group and it's something that we take pride in. And so, you know, with that that trip, I, I didn't realize I'm like, man, I'm really disconnected from where my food comes from to how it gets, you know, from where it comes from to how it gets to, you know, my kitchen table. And so to see just I think the the journey and the the commitment that it takes to to do something like this. But I think also the pride that people get from feeding back into their environment, you feed back into the community. And I'm excited to see, you know, what happens with the community garden that we're developing here in Memphis. Another great thing that we do in Memphis, we actually have, we have these things called shop talks. So we go into the different communities and we talk about environmental justice um, issues. What we do realize that barbershops are a safe haven. That's a safe space for men. And sometimes in this space, you don't have a lot of men or people don't realize, like I stated before, that it's an environmental justice issue. So when we go in the barbershops, we talk about lead prevention. We talk about eating healthy foods. Um, we even kind of talk about mental mental health. So I want to learn more about these shop talks because I feel like barbershops are not a place that I think of first when I think of where to reach people for, you know, climate change education, environmental justice education. So I'm very curious at, you know, what what was the response that you saw from these shop talks? 
So usually when we walk in, we're like, oh, we're talking about environmental justice and people are just like, okay. <laughs> because you know, you most people don't actually know what, what it means. So when we start talking about, for example, I'll just keep using the food desert. You know, I'm like, well, notice, you know, when you walk outside, like, what do you see? Like, where, where, where is your closest grocery store? If you stayed right here in this barbershop, where would you get an apple, for example? And I'd be like, I'm like, is it within a mile? Is it two miles? I was like, oh, well, maybe about three, four miles. And I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's a problem. But we, we also start the conversation. It's like, well, I know you noticed it's a family dollar across the street or it's a dollar general across the street. Like, and so this usually how the conversation kind of starts. They realize like, wait a minute, like we didn't pay attention to that. Or we also will let them know about like the tires, for example, um, you know, tires have lead in it. I was like, well, you know, if we go outside, what do you see? I'm like, do you see tires on the side of the road? And they'll be like, yes. And so that's a environmental justice issue. That's a problem. I'm like, that's not normal. Well, if that is all you see in your community, you start believing that's that's just normal. That's just what it is. Not understanding that it impacts not only your community, but that impacts your health as well. And so as they continue to listen to us facilitate, facilitate the shop talks, they become more engaged. And they're always like, well, when are y'all coming back? How can we talk about more? How can we get involved? I, I would definitely say the barbershop talk experience is just, just a great idea because especially it gets us out there. And now when people see us, they actually hold us accountable because we have had barbershops they tell us like, we don't just want to see you one time. We want you all to come back. And I think that is a great thing to, that's a great thing to hear because I do understand sometimes people show up and you never see them again. So one great thing about Black Millennials for Flint, if we say we're coming back, we make sure that we come back. So another area of your programming that I notice is that you do a lot of work with children on environmental justice issues. What are these programs like? What do you exactly do with the children and why is it important for children to be engaged in these kind of topics? We actually did a community service day in Flint at the beginning of May where the children got to actually work in the garden with parents. <laughs> they got to do um, a, lead, a lead experiment to test the water. And we just had a big day. Like we're actually just showing like showing the kids like, hey, let's get you started early. And so a lot of people don't realize, like, if you show kids early, they will express an interest. Recently, we came up with a program for the little kids. So it's from ages three to five. So we call it mini EJ Griots. And actually, I've been the, the teacher with them, and we actually um, grew microgreens. So it's, it's broccoli. The great thing about working with the children, we actually brought a food scientist in. She showed them like, hey, here's fresh broccoli, here's frozen broccoli. And the kids were actually able to tell the difference. My three-year-old that I have, you know, I've been going through like, hey, is this is broccoli a fruit of, or a vegetable? Prior to starting, she'll just be like, it's green. I was like, 
Okay, but is it a fruit or vegetable? And so within this pilot program, um, she knows now that broccoli is a vegetable. And so the four-year-old actually came back and told me one day, she's like, hey, I had broccoli and cheese last night to eat. I want broccoli and cheese tomorrow. So it's great to see that the three and four-year-olds are realizing like, oh, okay, this is healthy. This is good. Yeah, it's so interesting how these you know, what we think of as very simple issues of, you know, what's healthy to eat, what's not healthy to eat. These all connect to food justice, environmental justice, this issue of food deserts that we were talking about before. This is fundamental knowledge to understand those more complex topics. So it's it's so important to have kids, uh, young children to gain a good base knowledge of this, I think. I know you guys are working hard to make sure the community has access to healthy food, but what role does the local and state government in Tennessee play in your guys' work? So when we were a part of the EJ Brio program, we actually crafted different policies on what we would like to speak with our representatives about. We had a brunch and we proposed our ideas to them. One of our state representatives, um, his name is Jesse Chisholm, he wanted to have um, a recommendation around urban agriculture with, with farming. And so what we did, we drafted our recommendations and we actually submitted petitions for people to sign. And that was like a great way to get involved. It's like, hey, it's not necessarily a Black Millennials for Flint, idea but because we're working with state legislators this is what we're like what we're trying to do and he actually brought the idea to us while he was presenting at the barbershop so it's like the perfect like just the perfect way to get like everybody involved we actually ended up um exceeding the number of signatures i think we may have needed maybe like 120 and we had like 151 so which was really really great Our CEO for Black Millennials for Flint, she is a White House appointee for environmental justice. So a lot of things that she receives from us, you know, she takes it and speaks with other other people who are on the advisory council with her. And if things are not correct, we try to correct it on Black Millennials for Flint and and just to get it for it to be all inclusive. So it, it will just basically help not just Black Millennials for Flint, but every environmental justice organization there is around the United States. On the state and local level, government can definitely make it a point to uh, create more grant opportunities to create like urban farms. So we can transform a lot of these food deserts and food swamps into food oases. The after school program I worked with uh, in 2018 was Urban Garden. And uh, I was very surprised how many uh, People gravitated towards the uh, garden in South Memphis. And even myself, like I learned so much about farming that I previously just didn't know. Uh, we were growing things like okra, uh, uh, greens, uh, turnips, uh, you know, you name it. And it was, it was in that garden. And seeing the kids actually uh, being able to participate and say, pick an okra off the stem and take a bite out, out of it. I'm personally not a big fan of okra, but when I ate that okra off the stem, it was one of the sweetest things I ever tasted. And that's the transformative part, I think, where both communities and governments can collaborate together to be able to 
facilitate this education and change. Yeah, having the opportunity and experiences to see exactly how your food is produced, how it gets to your dinner table is such a great learning experience, I think, because it makes you so much more connected to the food system that we all participate in and makes you think about and learn about how environmental justice issues and climate change can threaten that food system and create inequalities in which some communities don't have access to these foods and some do. I think it's really awesome that y'all are meeting people where they already are instead of like making them, I don't know, figure in something else in their life. And I'm wondering how necessarily does political advocacy like fit into your work? That political side of things, because we're talking about food deserts and a lot of other factors, but at the heart of it all, a lot of it is connecting back to the health and well-being of the people. I know prior to this experience with Black Williams of Flint, my impression of environmental justice was like, you know, hugging trees and, you know, saving the whales and things like that. And those are great things, don't get me wrong. But really connecting that environmental justice component to the people is such a huge thing. So I'll give you a prime example. And this can connect back to the political side of things. One of the things we did here in Memphis was we toured our community. And one of the things we noticed was, you know, some of these factories that are blowing like toxic fumes and smoke into the air are like five minutes away from whole entire neighborhood where kids and families are living. And they're breathing in those fumes, skin into their skin. And you have to ask what is happening to them long-term. And that has a number of impacts from the overall just physical health, even brain functions, which is one of the things with lead that uh, we learned about uh, through this program and just overall quality of life. Really that political advocacy part of it, we have to demand from officials and our leaders, you're gonna build this factory, don't build it next to my neighborhood because there's some neighborhoods and communities where you know they will say, not in my town, not in my neighborhood. And it's just not existed. There's no equity in it. So we really have to fight for the health and well-being of our you know, children, grandchildren, grandparents, mom, dad, whoever, in this work of environmental justice. We just have to organize and do something about it. So our last question for you is a big one. It is, what is your vision for the world? And by that, I mean, what would the world look like if Black Millennials for Flint didn't have to exist as an organization? Equity in the quality of life for all people. It's an even playing field across the board when it comes to, you know, food, when it comes to transportation, when it comes to, you know, quality, um, you know, air and space and community that we live in. I would like to see literally zero like factories nearby neighborhoods. And the other thing, too, is I would like to see both in our schools, in our communities, even if it's on a very small level, I would see a lot of people take up gardening and growing their own vegetables. So even their own herbs are just flowers they enjoy. The pandemic showed us how fragile things like grocery stores and resources, um, you know, how, you know, how uh, fragile those things are. It was pretty scary to see, hey, food shelves are bare. Or even um, that same year, I think it's 2020, where Memphis, we had a very severe ice storm as well as the across the country. And literally our water, our groundwater froze over and it 
took several hours just to fill one bucket of water. That ability to be self-sufficient is is such a blessing and it's a beautiful thing. And then another follow-up question for that is, what do you hope people will take away from the work that Black Millennials for Flint is engaging in? I hope that it continues to empower people to, you know, believe that at the grassroots level, this work still matters because you can start out, you know, grassroots and work your way, you know, up to like what we've been doing, which is working with, you know, our state representatives, which is having the CEO, you know, be a partner, you know, in the white with the White House and environmental justice and believing that at the collective, we can still make a change. Also showing people that, you know, you I look like you. You look like me. Another great thing I'll go back to where um, I went to church in Memphis. We're able to look at the GIS map and it shows all the lead lines in the urban communities, which are the same communities that we just spoke about um, with food deserts. Like I can type in the name of my church and it shows up for us just to just kind of just continue to educate, continue to let people know that they're that they are not alone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of In Conversation in Community, a collaboration between Operation Climate and Duke University Environmental Justice Oral Histories Project. The stories that Shaniqua, Aramis, and Tarrant shared about their environmental justice journeys was really inspiring. And we hope you learned something about the connections between access to healthy food and environmental justice and the well-being of a community in general. To get more information about Black Millennials for Flint, you can visit their website. It's blackmillennials for that's a number four, flint.org. Blackmillennialsforflint.org. We'll also have it linked in our show notes. To get a full transcript of this episode and links that you can explore to learn more about this topic that we covered today, head to our website at bit.ly slash Operation Climate Podcast. To stay updated about other Operation Climate things, follow us on our socials. We are at Operation Climate on Instagram and at Operation Climate on TikTok. To learn more about the Environmental Justice Oral Histories Project at Duke University, check out the link in our show notes. And make sure to check out the other episodes in In Conversation in Community as well. Hope to see you next time. Bye.